We are living in strange days. Now, going back to the days of the pandemic, to the days of the lockdowns, to the protests or riots of Black Lives Matter, or the whole LGBT lobby, the church of Jesus Christ, I would say this, has been under a lot of pressure. Is that true? The church has been under a lot of pressure to conform to this world and the ways of the world. I want to encourage you straight off the bat with this. Throughout the ages, the church of Jesus Christ has always faced problems. Amen? However, it's in the darkest days, in the darkest hours, that the church of Jesus Christ has shone the brightest. Amen? It's when that pressure comes on, is when the church has shone the brightest. During persecution, the church was valiant. When it came to compromise, the church was resilient and resistant. And when it came to the time of the Reformation, the church of Jesus was triumphant. Amen? Now, how is this possible? How has this been possible throughout the ages? I would say this. They have relied simply on the word of God. Simple as that. They have turned to the word of God in the darkest days. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We know these verses well. And it's so true, isn't it? When we're challenged, when the world wants to change us, that we turn to the word of God. Now for the church to advance forward in the days in which we're living, we have to turn back to the word of God. Because the word of God is the blueprint. Amen? That should always be on our mind. Well, what does God say? We've heard a lot what man says. We've heard a lot what pastors and preachers and church leaders have said throughout the ages. But we want to hear what God says. And we want to hear that this morning. Amen? Now take your minds back. We've spoken so much and sung so much this morning about the king. Back to John chapter 18 and 19. Jesus was handed over by his people to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate said to him, are you a king? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, I am a king. He confirmed this. He said, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight for me. But my kingdom is far from here. In fact, Jesus' king, kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Amen? Something we can't fathom, really. It's a bit like marriage. You can't really fathom it until you've entered into it. Amen? That's what the Apostle Paul calls it a great mystery. As a man who's been almost married for three years, it's a great mystery. A wonderful mystery. However, it's a mystery. Now, Jesus completes his mission. And on his head it says, the king of the Jews, we know the story. And out go the disciples... 
and preach the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, last week we heard about when Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. They go there, they preach, they go into the synagogue, which was Paul's custom. Go to God's people first, preach the truth. Hear that? Go to God's people first, those who claim to be his, and preach the truth. And he proclaimed it from the scriptures. Many of the Jews believe, many of the Greeks believe, both men and women, and they started to follow Paul and Silas. What was the reaction there in Thessalonica? Not good, was it? You see, when one preaches the gospel, not everyone's going to receive it, not everyone's going to believe it, and not everyone's going to like it. Is that true in your lives? Is it true in the life of your family? What do they do? There's an uproar. You've upset the apple cart. What do they do? They can't find Paul and Silas, so they go to the nearest Christian house, Jason and some of the other brethren, and they bring them before the elders of the community. They're guilty by association. They're affiliated with Paul and Silas. Who are these people? These are the men that are turning the world upside down. Is that what they said? Saying there is another king and his name is? That's what they were saying. Now, as a king, King Jesus has commissioned his church. This commission... I just want to remind every one of us, is not being retracted because Jesus is the authority. He is the author. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the authority. There's no one that I know on earth who's of equal or surpassed the authority of Jesus Christ. What he says goes. Amen? So we need to get back to what the king is saying. Now, this morning's message is called The King's Commission. The King's Commission. And the message is really a reminder for the church. Because God's people are prone to forgetting. Is that true? Hence the Bible says, remember, 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 remember this. Do this festival so you remember the Passover. And do this so you remember. So really this morning I want to lay down a foundation for the other two speakers that are coming up. It's good to be reminded. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says this, For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. For us to hear these messages is safe. For us to hear the gospel is safe. And for us to be reminded of how much Jesus loves us is okay. Very good. We have the program. Now let's have a look then. In Matthew 28, verse 18. Now, I want you to pick up, because Jesus, as king, does not offer suggestions. He only gives commands. Remember, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I have commanded you? He's a commander of the army. Amen? Verse 18 says, And Jesus come and spoke to them, that's the disciples, saying, All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Pay attention. Teaching them 
to observe all the things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, this go for, this is what Jesus is saying. In light of the fact that all authority has been given unto me, go and exercise that authority by demonstrating it. Don't just talk about it in a holy huddle. Get out there and demonstrate this in my name. The authority has been given, and I've given you the commission to go forth. Now, there's three things that Jesus says there. He says, make disciples. He never said, make church members, make lay members, do it culturally. He says to get them and make disciples. And let's note, he says this, teaching them to observe all the things that I taught you. So think of all the things that Jesus taught the disciples. He said, teach the next generation. Then that generation, teach the next generation. And that generation, teach the next generation. It's quite simple, isn't it? However, throughout the ages, this has been lost. He says, baptize them, teach them. Now, there's a resistance in the church, those who profess Christ. I would say on two things, but there's many things, actually. But on two things in particular we'll talk about this morning. One is baptism, and the other is repentance, both of which are commands, not suggestions. They are commands. Now, when it comes to baptism, um, we are saved by grace. Amen? Grace through faith. Ephesians 2.9 says we're saved by grace. However, it is a command. This, I would say, as a Christian of 17 years and a pastor of seven, is really hard to get through to people. I don't know why it is. People want to debate it. Do I get dunked three times? Do I put water on my head? How many sprinkles do I have? And I think the time you've spoken about it, you could have dunked at least 500 people. There's so many books, isn't there? But what about just get dunked and you'll be done, okay? The word baptizo means to immerse. I mean, John the Baptist didn't have this discussion at the Jordan. He said, just get in, get wet, get dunked, get out there and do something about it, amen? But see how the devil stalls people. It's very, very, the people get very confused about it. I'm not sure when to do it. And I will add this, it's a believer's baptism, but that's for another time. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17, please. You see, these things pop up, especially these days on YouTube, where people like to be keyboard warriors and cause trouble on YouTube. You know the ones, the ones that don't go to church. There's a resistance against repentance. This is absolutely nuts. But however, let's have a look at what the scripture says. Acts 17 verse 30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. When we didn't understand these things, when these things weren't proclaimed. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. We all see that? Before you were ignorant. Now you have no excuse. 
The commander's gone forth. It's very inclusive, by the way, and that's a, that's a word that people like, isn't it? All men, everywhere, very inclusive, to repent. Now listen, I would say this. Encourage your fellow believer. Don't just leave it up to pastors and preachers. Those who you can see, wow, God is really speaking to them. God is really touching their heart. Challenge them on this. Say, look, I think you're ready for baptism. I think you should and consider these things and bring them to the pastor of the church. Don't let it all be up to the leadership. Jesus said, you've been given authority. We work as a body of believers. Encourage them to do it. This is your time to be baptized. Um, as this dear sister is visiting us today, I won't name her, but she knows who she is. Don't you, Leslie? I remember finished preaching once, and I was so convicted because Leslie wasn't baptized at this time. I finished preaching, and I went to the front, sat next to her, and you were there on the left side. I said, Sister, I've been praying for you all week, and God has told me to tell you you must get baptized. And she looked at me and said, Am I going to die? And I said, Kind of. A different type of death. You remember that? And she was baptized by myself and Pastor Jerry. Amen. Now, look, let's turn then, as we're looking at the Great Commission, to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're going to read from verse 14. Mark chapter 16, verse 14 says, Later he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven, that's the disciples, as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief. Can you imagine that? We haven't seen you for a while. Jesus turns up, and they all say, Hi, Jesus, and he just rebukes them immediately. Why? For the hardness of their hearts, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he does not will be condemned. He does not believe will be condemned. And those signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now look, first of all, let's look in verse 16. Who believes and is baptized. Now I'm going to give a James interpretation. It says, He who believes and is obedient will be saved. Okay, some people can be baptized and not obedient. Who believes and is obedient will be saved. But he who does not believe won't be obedient and therefore will be condemned. That's my um, paraphrase on that. Let's continue though in verse 19. So then, after the Lord has spoken to him, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus has done his work, mission complete. And now we're sending forth the church to represent him, filled with the Spirit, to carry out the king's commission. And they went out and proclaimed everywhere. And the Lord, working with them and confirming the word, 
through the accompanying sign. Now, if you want the accompanying signs, you must get the word right. God's not going to confirm a wrong word. Now, they went out and proclaimed the gospel. It's a particular gospel that they proclaimed. So turn with me to Matthew 24. I remember being in a, um, a Bible shop in Jerusalem, in the old city. And there are Jewish believers in Jesus. And, and they asked me, Brother James, Yaakov, they used to call me Yaakov the Ginger. Gingy, do you know when the world's going to finish? We're discussing eschatology. I said, I can tell you exactly when the world's going to finish. You can see the words, you know, the look in their eyes, heretic. You know. So I turned to this passage. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You see, it's this particular gospel of the kingdom. When people hear the word gospel, they think either gospel music or Jesus loves you, have a muffin. But it's actually about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is this. That God, once again, is willing to rule and reign over those who are repentant and obedient. God is willing, once again, to rule and reign. Because he rules and reigns. And we come under his wings, under his authority, which is his word. And he rules and reigns with us. And it says to all nations. Now, the word there is where we, is ethnos, is the Greek word, where we get all ethnic groups. So this is worldwide proclamation of the kingdom of God, which, if we look at the beginning of the Gospels, is exactly what Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? However, if we're going to go forth and we're going to represent the king of the kingdom, we are going to need some almighty power. Turn to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. Let me just say, before we read this, we're going to read Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. Um, no, I'll explain it in a minute. Let's read. Let's, let's let God speak and James be quiet. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together, there's the key, assembled together, with them, he suggested he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized in is the correct word the Holy Spirit not many days from now therefore um, when they had come together they asked him saying Lord Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Now, I often ask people, when did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? Most people will give the answer, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. However, it's in John chapter 20. Okay, you can make a note of that. It's when they're hiding for fear of the Jews. Jesus comes and stands in the midst of them. And they said they were glad, which is the greatest understatement ever. However, he breathed in them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 1, he said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we know it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, a few things I want to pick up on this. The times and the seasons. Now, as Christians and throughout Christendom, there's a great obsession, I would say, about eschatology end times. Is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Pre, mid, post. And people spend a lot of time on this, and I get it. And it's good to discuss. It's good to read because it's scriptural. However, I think for many it becomes a holy cow and it divides the church. It becomes a holy cow and I think the holy cow needs to be killed, okay? Because people get so obsessed with this, they're not actually doing the King's Commission, which is preaching the gospel and bringing the gospel to the lost and bringing people into the kingdom and discipling the people and preaching to the people and teaching the people. You get the point. It's good, but not at the cost of people's souls. Jesus said, but of that day and hour, nobody knows. But you shall receive power of the Holy Spirit. And my question to you this morning, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Don't have to shout out, but have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay, you can shout out. Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Jolly good, you're born again. However, there are people in churches that haven't. And I have spoken with them often over the years. Now, when I say, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? They have that look, like Leslie, in their eyes, you know. Am I not saved? Am I going to die? Because of the false teaching. I would say this. If you have professed Christ and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, I liken it to this. And I say this reverently before God. Write this down because it's going to be useful for you. Consider the Holy Spirit like your mobile phone. It's in your pocket, but it's switched off. For you to have a signal, what have you got to do? Switch it on. So you want to be asking people, is your phone switched on? And I hope this morning your phone is switched off. Your mobile phone, but the Holy Spirit is on. It's very good. Now, I was speaking with somebody on Sunday. This is how you can get it confirmed quite quickly. Somebody spoke with me and said, I'm not sure if I've received the power of the Holy Spirit. They've got the Holy Spirit because they believe, they've received. However, they're not sure if they've got the power of the Holy Spirit. So I asked this person, have you met my wife? And they said, yes. I said, see how quick you were to know immediately you've met my wife, but have you met the Holy Spirit? You're not sure. You see what I mean? When you've met Jesus, you've met Jesus. Amen. When the Holy Spirit has come into your life, the Holy Spirit has come into your life. When you meet Jerry Rosek, you're not going back again. 
Nobody says, I think I've met Joey. Nobody does it. Welcome, Joey. But look at the last words of Jesus. And I'm sure these words in this passage were echoed in the minds of the disciples. He said these words, unto the ends of the earth. This gospel, unto the ends of the earth, until the ends of the earth, until the ends of the earth. I'm sure that was resonating in their mind as he ascended up unto the ends of the earth. Those were the marching orders by the king until the ends of the earth. So let us conclude with this. Maybe we can put this slide up. Oh, we're up. The king's commission is this. All nations to the end of the age. Mark 16. All the world and every creature. Acts chapter 1. To the ends of the earth. All people, all ages, all places, fully inclusive. The commission is clear. Jesus is single-minded, and we need to be like this, single-minded. And I would say this, if you're not involved in one way or the other of the Great Commission, you are either ignorant or disobedient to the commands of Christ. You've been served notice here this morning, Calvary Chapel, Cambridge, 16th of September, 2023. Get involved in the Great Commission. And I would say this, it's an amazing privilege to be part of it. There's nothing better than giving the gospel to somebody and somebody actually paying attention to what you're saying. Isn't that wonderful? And people go, well, I've never heard this before. I, I, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand this about Jesus. And no matter what day you've had, there's a bounce in your step as you walk off. Is that correct? And we've been called by Christ to take part in the proclamation of his kingdom. I can't think of a greater privilege than that. Now, we have been... As believers in Jesus, enlisted in the king's army. Will you turn, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2? Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He's set up the church. He's put Timothy in charge. And he's writing letters of encouragement. And he says this. 2 Timothy 2, 3 says that you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that we are promised as soldiers of Jesus Christ is there's some hardship. Amen? Okay? Um, persecution is promised. Um, hardship is inevitable and the way to endure it is by keep enduring simple as that keep going keep up the fight the good fight of faith as Paul did and I'm often bewildered by the fact that the apostle Paul wrote so many letters while he was in prison he's writing letters of encouragement to the believers while he's in prison that man must have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Look in the next verse. I'm going to give it from the Amplified Version. I sometimes speak from other versions of which I check very carefully because we've become so familiar with our own translations. So I like to break it up a bit, but I do check very carefully the Greek or Hebrew. 
He says this, first of all, no soldier in active service gets entangled in the ordinary business or affairs of civilian life. Actually, he says he avoids them so that he may please the one who enlisted him to serve. We've been set free to serve. Amen? That those who are in active service, there's work to be done. And there's plenty of distractions. And we have to examine ourselves, as the scriptures say, continuously against distractions. How much am I spending my time uh, on YouTube or TikTok? Or, of course, you guys don't do that because you're religious. Um, Whatever it is, of course, we have time off. However, we are called to be in active service. Now, others may not be active, but that's their business. You can encourage them, but you have, as well as they have, been enlisted and are on duty. As far as the enemy sees you, and I'm sure you're aware that there is an enemy, you, you don't get a day off. He is on your case. Let me share this. slightly heavy, but I think it... I feel kind of prompted to share this. Do you remember the British soldier Lee Rigby? Remember when he was attacked? And his head almost severed off by Islamists? I, I remember reading about this and the British public was saying, well, he wasn't on duty at the time. But as far as the enemy was concerned, he's on duty because he is a British soldier. You don't get a day off. I think that's something... It's heavy, but it's something real. You can't say to Satan, I'm on holiday now. Could you leave me alone? Chelsea and I went to Morocco. Very heavy for the first few days. And we started to realize the enemy didn't get the email that we're on holiday. Okay? So we had to pray, and we prayed. We prayed about and pleaded the blood of Jesus on our lives and stayed prayerful throughout the holiday, and we had a wonderful holiday. However, we just took our eyes off the ball for a sec, okay? And don't worry if it's an Islamic country, because when I walk around the streets of London, I see it's more Islamic there than it is in Islamic countries, and I've been to many. So we're always on duty, okay? Consider it like this. I was speaking with Brother James, who will be speaking next, if he gets the chance. Um, of an army barracks. Army barracks, they normally get up, let's say, six in the morning. But the captain comes in at four in the morning, starts banging the tin. Right, we're up. We're getting up. We're going off to war. We're going off to Iraq again. There's going to be another war. Imagine the soldiers. Oh, well, sorry, captain. We don't normally get up to six. But we're going to war. Well, I didn't expect that. I didn't know we were going to war. Nobody warned me. But you're a soldier. I was rather hoping I was going to get through my service without there being a war. You get the point. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6, 12. Well-known verse. Because you might be thinking, where is the war? Maybe some Christians ask, where is the war? I can't see it. Ephesians 6.12, I'm going to read it again from Amplified Version. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning contending only with physical opponents, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness 
in the heavenly, supernatural places. That is where the war is taking place. Now turn with me, please, because you know the verse well. John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 8. And I'll use this verse as a principle to what we just looked at. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about that one must be born again. He's speaking about, obviously, the Holy Spirit. And he says this, John 3, 8. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, but the principles apply exactly to that of a demonic spirit. The Greek word panuma is the word for spirit, wind, and breath. Now, like the Holy Spirit, like wind, you don't necessarily see wind, but you see what it does. When it's windy, the trees blow around, the leaves come off, people's hats fly off. You see the reaction. And this is completely the same in the demonic realm. You see the reaction. I don't believe everything that I see is natural. Do you? I see the rise of it more and more of the supernatural demonic. Now we had, I was in town, it's Christmas time, and there were some brothers who were preaching right in the center of Cambridge. <clears throat> and I went over and said, look, I just wanted to encourage you. Thanks for coming to Cambridge and preaching. But I want to challenge you on something. They said, yeah, sure. I said, I've heard you explain in the gospel. I said, this is Cambridge. It may look nice. It's completely demonic. Start proclaiming. Write this down. Not explanation, but proclamation. Not explanation, but proclamation. Okay? And I said, let's pray. And we prayed. And I said, now just proclaim the word. Don't explain it to these intellectual academics. The Apostle Paul was the same. When he came back from dealing with the Greeks, he came back and said, from now on I preach Christ and him crucified. So they just started proclaiming the word of God over Cambridge. I would say in about 12 seconds someone manifested in the street. I have video evidence. I was there. And I looked at him and said, that worked. Why is that? Because these are pure words. Tested in the furnace of the earth seven times. Purified like silver. This is where the power is. And we can get bogged down explaining far too much to people. But when you just proclaim it in love, in the Holy Spirit, you'll get a reaction, right? Now consider this. When you're dealing with other situations, consider the demonic. You mustn't be ignorant. Sometimes people react to you and say, well, this is a bit over the top. Consider that it may be something supernatural and spiritual. Now, Satan himself disguised as an angel of light, comes in to divide and conquer, okay? And personally, as a Britisher, I know everything about divide and conquer. I just look at our history books and how we did it, okay? Divide the people and conquer them. Now, I'd say the church, there's a lot of division, okay? And I want just to name a few things. One is worship style. People get divided on this. Tradition. People get divided on this. Is just, we don't do this. We do that. You do this. Clothing is a big one. You're all too casual. I had when I come to this church. I was too smart. That's the opposite, isn't it? 
You don't, you don't have to wear a waistcoat and tie. Oh, I want to wear a waistcoat and tie, but you don't have to. I want to, and I'm going to wear it, okay? But it's fine. The enemy will get in and divide the people over these things. And of course, the big one, Bible translations, okay? People are divided. And just when you do these things, maybe you do it in your mind subconsciously. And they, people always do it, don't they? So which translation do you read? They do it with the Christian smile, don't they? They want to know. They want to say, are you King James or not? I often say, which King James? Oxford or Cambridge, because they're both different. Ooh. Check your spirit. Check your spirit. How am I looking at the one that Christ died for? How am I looking at that person, that brother and sister in Christ? 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Write that down. We don't look upon God, but we love him. We look upon our brothers and sisters, do we love him? How can we say that we love God that we cannot see and hate our brothers and sisters who we can see? Amen? There's many things that we can be divided on. And believe me, I'm not into the ecumenical movement by any means. But check the spirit. Check your spirit. Remember when James and John wanted to call fire down for those in Samaria? Just because they didn't receive Jesus. You know, burn them up. Kill them in front of Jesus. And he said, like, hold on, mate. You don't really know what spirit you're of. You, know, you check your spirit a little bit. Okay? Satan hates one thing in particular, church unity. Jesus loves community. He hates unity. Because unity is a picture of the kingdom. It's a command by the king. And it's where the power is. It's where the power is. It's where that dross which you have gets burnt up. It's where those hard edges get smoothed out, you know. It's in church. Oh, I don't like going to church. People annoy me. Okay, but maybe you annoy people. But you're not there for them. You're there for God. They didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. They didn't command you. Jesus commanded you. Is this true? Hebrews 10.25, the lockdown verse. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, and they do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Encourage yourself, encourage others to meet with the brethren. Amen? Write down war casualties, because there's going to be some when there's a war on. There's a few things. OTT, over the top. Okay. What is this? Now, seven years in ministry, um, people have come to me, maybe new babes in Christ, and they go a little bit wild. They learn about things. They say, right, that does it. I'm coming against Satan, and I'm going to bind Satan and the kingdom of hell, and I'm going to... Whoa. I liken this to a, a feisty soldier who's in the trenches and runs over the top and runs towards the enemy, charge in a rather cavalier fashion, and they end up getting shot. Yeah, they get shot, okay? It might look good, but it doesn't last long, okay? To do this, we need to do this in unity, and to do this, we need to do this prayerfully. You want prayer cover 
if you're going to do this. And I would certainly advise anyone to go to leadership and say, look, I'm thinking about binding the Satan of Islam. What do you reckon? You know, we need to be doing things as a church and doing things spiritually. We have the wounded soldier, number two. I saw this documentary. I wasn't going to share this, but I think I will, because I think it would be helpful. There's a documentary about Vietnam. And in the doc documentary, the Viet Cong used to lay traps for the American GIs. And essentially, it was a spike in a hole, and it was covered. And the Americans would come along, and they'd walk through, and it would spike their foot. You get it? But what the Americans didn't realize, and what was revealed later, why the Viet Cong did it like this. They didn't want to kill the soldier. They wanted to wound the soldier. Now listen carefully. They didn't want to kill him. They wanted to wound him. Now why? Because when that soldier was wounded, everyone had to come to his aid. He had to be evacuated out. Therefore, a helicopter had to come. The first aiders had to go. See how much time and effort? And you make yourself vulnerable? Now consider that possibly in your own church or in the future where there is a wounded soldier and he's a brother or a sister, but that you do it in the right way because it can be very draining on you as an individual, can be very draining as a church. I'd say bring to the leadership, explain it, let's go and speak to others. Otherwise, it will be, for those in ministry, I've got a sister nodding here, it can be a great drain on you. So just be aware of this, how the enemy works. He will target one, and not take them out as in finish them, but wound them. And just to take your mind and energy on that person. And then we have the AWOL, absent without leave. Predominantly happened during the pandemic where people just disappeared. Okay. And there may be many reasons why people leave churches. However, we are to encourage and always leave the door open for people to come back. And I think when people have been away from churches for a while, it's hard to come back in. So there must be a real gentle spirit of inviting and allowing people back in without too much questioning and allowing them to be restored and encouraged um, and brought back into the fold. Amen? The enemy in particular aims to take out leadership, to pray for the leadership and pray for marriages. The enemy hates marriages because they're a covenant in a covenant. Christian marriage is a covenant in a covenant. And this, of course, is the whole picture of the Bible is a marriage. And Satan hates it. So pray for marriages, pray for the leadership. Amen? Second Corinthians chapter 10. We're almost there, please. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and verse 4. Paul's writing to the church there at Corinth. He says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are worship. Our weapons are fasting. And our weapons are church unity. That's powerful. And I would say some of the most powerful times of prayer and worship that we've had in this church is during times of fasting. 
If you haven't learned about church fasting, learn about it. Corporate fasting has been practiced throughout the ages. There's a teaching on our website about fasting. And out of that, we've had healings. Out of that, we've had deliverances. Out of that, um, well, we had one sister who was completely healed of her spine and she got pregnant. She had a baby and everything else. So just this humbling, that's what fasting is, humbling ourselves before a holy God and inviting him into our lives. So these are our weapons. Prayer, worship, and fasting. Now, I just want to finish with this and ask you, because you've been very patient with me, what is your part in the war effort? What do you consider your part in the war effort? Because God is looking for commitment. God is looking for obedience. But also, God is looking for sacrifice. Okay. Commitment will be prayer cover. Got that up on the board? Awesome. Praying in particular for those who are on the front line, those who are involved in ministry, those who are missionaries abroad. We support some, the Donovans. Their book is out there if you want it. To cover people with prayer, even if it's a short prayer. And I would say this, and I'm learning once again to do it immediately. If you say, I'll pray later, you won't. Do it there and then and do it immediately. Um, I have a wonderful brother in the Lord called Phil Twenty. And um, that's a great name, isn't it? Phil Twenty. And he remembers everything. Phil, is that true, Jerry? He remembers everything. I first met him in a forest in Russia. And Jerry and I was on a coach because we were going to a conference in Russia in St. Petersburg. And we got on this coach and me and Jerry were chatting away like this. And then after about 45 minutes, Jerry said, is this the right coach? No idea. So it's pulled up, and this man, Phil 20, gets on. He's about 800 now, but he looks really well. And he comes on, and he said, you must be James. In the middle of Russia. And obviously, Joey had said, I'm traveling with some ginger bloke called James. And he remembered. He said, how are you doing? I said, well, we're hoping to get there safe. We're hoping it's, we're on the right coach, actually. He went, okay, let's pray about that. His hand straight on my shoulder. And he prayed about it. I thought, wow, that's kind of a one-off. Then I met him years later in York. How are you doing, James? How's the church going? I said, well, you know, there's troubles and everything else. He goes, let's pray about that. Immediately. I got kind of inspired by Phil. So take that. Pray for somebody immediately. It can be in Sainsbury's. You can pray in Sainsbury's, yeah? If you want to clear the aisle, just say, I want to pray for you. <laughs> They'll leave. Yeah? It works. You want a good seat on the underground? Come to speak to you about Jesus. There you got a seat. And you obviously have somebody sat next to you who's interested. So pray and let's do it immediately. Amen? Obedience to attendance to church, prayer meetings, Bible study. Come along, be obedience to the word of God. Gather with the brethren. Whether you feel like it or not, we're not governed by our emotions. We're governed by Jesus because he's the governor. Amen? He is the king. Sacrifice. The, the, the word that nobody mentions in church that they want to offend. Financial. Money is a sacrifice because you get out of bed, you go to work, and you work for it, and you sweat for it. So to hand that over is a sacrifice. However, it is required. Ministries don't run on water. Jesus had uh, a treasurer, not a good one, but he had a treasurer. But he needed finances, okay? So, store up treasures on, you know, in heaven. Finance the church. We're not to be... Like the world, are we? 
We don't operate as the world. That's why the world doesn't understand you. And Jesus said that to people. Why do you speak in parables? Well, I give it to you because you can understand it. But for those outside, do not understand these things of the parables. We are a different people, aren't we? A peculiar people. And I must say, I meet a lot of Christians and they are definitely peculiar people. And I know that because I'm one of them. We are a peculiar people. But we don't operate as the world operates, do we? We don't operate as the world system operates. Because we belong to a king who has his own kingdom. So we march to his beat and not the beat of the world. We march to his drum and not the drum of the world. Amen? We say there is another king. We say there is an alternative lifestyle. And there is another kingdom. Listen. We say there is another king and his name is Jesus. Who offers an alternative lifestyle, which is eternal life. How can you not want eternal life? This is what he offers, whose kingdom is not like the United Kingdom, which is breaking, but his kingdom's incorruptible and eternal. Should we say eternal? Eternal. This is the king that served us. This is the king that saved us. This is the king that speaks to us. This is the one who intercedes for us. And this is the king that breathed into us and gave us life eternal. Amen? And we want to serve him. We want to hear those words of well done, good and faithful servant. We know the reality of the king and we wait his coming. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this reminder which the king has put forth. This king's commission, which is to send out believers. Lord, that we may teach that we may baptize and teach all the things that I have commanded you. Lord, may this be imprinted in our hearts, the, the blueprint of eternal life, the blueprint of the king of the kingdom. May this be a reminder. May it stoke the fires of your believers, of your army here on earth, that we may proclaim, not just explain, but proclaim Jesus for a dark and dying world. Grace to the humble, law to the proud, now go serve your king. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.